0: A remote recording. Abigail's what? in her closet. I am
1: once again in my closet. <laughs> I'm hoping no one can hear my dog sniffing under the door because he's desperate to be let in. But, of course, he cannot come in for this.
0: It adds ambiance. No one has COVID this time. We're just very busy.
1: Yes, this is a, uh, a Monday evening recording after we both attended a friend's bachelorette party. So we're recovering
0: still I am at my best today
1: (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about I'm a thousand percent
0: this is (laughs) I feel great yeah everything's fine today we are not reading a romance novel no we're going to talk about murder (laughs) which is great considering that's what I did all day today Sorry. Murder. Murder. Yeah. Oh yeah. Murder. I performed performed a murder. No, I uh I do <laughs> murder related things for a living. <laughs> yes.
1: This is no no actual murders committed. Somebody's gonna crap out this podcast one day if you're like accused of a crime and use that as your confession. <laughs> I did a murder today.
0: Well, I had a hard day. <laughs> I had a hard day. (laughs) I considered doing some crimes. No, I didn't. But we are talking about Goodbye Earl, and we chose this book purely based on the vibes. Like, I can't even give a real reason of, like, oh my God, we veered off of romance because it was this, like, indescribable, whatever. Like, no, we just, we were like, we saw this book and we were like, yes. This it's, makes sense. It's summary. We've got that going for it. Yeah, it's summary. And I so it's written by Lisa Cross Smith, who I am a huge fan of. I'm a big admirer of hers. I read her book of short stories called So We can Glow um a few years back. And it I just really think she has like a really beautiful, lovely, magical writing style. Um and she adventures around genres so much like i think sometimes sometime last year i read like a like a romance novel that she wrote and like before that it was short stories and now it's this like murder thing and i'm like she can do anything she can do it all
1: this was my first book her. of hers so which it felt like a good one to start with since we both have a Long history with the song Goodbye Earl as it is anyway.
0: So That's yeah, that's true. I think, you know, I say we picked it purely based on the vibes. No, we picked it based on the title.
1: Yes, that is true. And I mean the cover's got a piece of pie on it. What what more can you ask for?
0: And the subtitle, it's Goodbye Earl Colin, a revenge novel. I mean yep. what are we supposed to do? We we gotta
1: <laughs> We got to take a break from romance and veer into murder. So, yeah,
0: this is why I don't read that many thrillers anymore, though, because now that I write and talk about murder a lot for work, I realize that I don't love consuming it in my free time necessarily. <laughs> what? When was the last time you read a thriller? I the last like thriller
1: that I can think of was when I read notes on an execution Mm. that you loaned me which I did really really love and it was like kind of a thriller kind of not a thriller in some ways
0: yeah thriller adjacent I think in the same way that this book is thriller adjacent
1: right and then
0: wayward that I read earlier this year had
1: some I mean mostly it was you know magical realism but it did Mm -hmm. have some more thriller aspects to it in some ways just like with witches, also.
0: So, yeah. Can you bring that over for me? Yes. I think you'll <laughs> really like it. Yeah. Cause I, I was thinking about it earlier and I was like, I don't know, Abigail, to have read like a thriller, like a very traditional, like Paula Hawkins bestseller list kind of style oh, yeah. thriller. It, so that's why I was asking. Yeah. If I have, it's been, it's been a long time.
1: I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head unless it was like a, A middle school book club one, perhaps, Right. we'll talk about later.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I still read them occasionally. Like, I'll listen to the odd thriller audiobook just as sort of, like, something compelling when I'm sitting in traffic. But I certainly don't read them as much as I used to. I went through a period, like, in my mid-20s where I was, like, only reading thrillers. Damn. For whatever reason. (laughs) I don't know. Were you well- In my mid-twenties? No. (laughs) Just in general, no. I wasn't well. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Anyway, do you want to read the blurb, or should I read the blurb? I can read the blurb. Let me go ahead and pull it up. Okay.
1: The blurb. So, the tagline... Four women take fate into their own hands in this big-hearted story of friendship, resilience, and revenge on monstrous men from the award-winning author of Half-Blown Rose.
0: Monstrous men. I like that.
1: Boy, indeed are they. Truly. Taking inspiration from the infamous, empowering song Goodbye Earl follows four best friends through two unforgettable summers, 15 years apart. In 2004, Rosemary, this is where I get to say that I kept calling her Rosemary. But it's Rosemary. I did the same thing. I and did I didn't, the same thing. I didn't even realize it until I was like putting this together and I was like, I've been calling her Rosemary in my head. It's Rosemary. Anyway, in 2004, Rosemary, Ada, Caroline, and Casey are in their final days of high school and <laughs> on the precipice of all the things teenagers look forward to when anything in life seems possible from falling in love to finding their dream jobs to becoming who they were meant to be. In 2019, Casey has returned to her small southern hometown of Goldie for the first time since high school, and she still hasn't told even her closest friends the truth of what really happened that summer after graduation or what made her leave so abruptly without looking back. Now reunited with her friends in Goldie for a wedding, she's determined to focus on the simple joy of being together again. But when she notices troubling signs that one of them might be in danger, she's catapulted back to that fateful summer. This time, Casey refuses to let the worst moments of her past define her. This time, she knows how to protect
0: those she loves at all costs. So this blurb makes it sound more thrillery than it is, which I know is the purpose of a blurb, but it it really does.
1: I thought this was going to be a little more salacious than it actually was.
0: No, no, same. I thought it was going to be straight up like thriller suspense when really it's just like very slice of life. Very women's fiction, which I hate that label, but it is. Yes. Yeah. So because of the dual timeline, we can't really go because of the dual timeline and because of just like all the random tiny shit that goes down in this book, we can't really do a full play by play book club style. But I would like to point out that I love a friend group with a name. Yes. <laughs> and and theirs is really dumb and I love it. So
1: their friend group name is Rack, which is all caps, all their initials. And they say it a lot in the book, which is like endearing at points. And also just like,
0: guys, come on, please. It was really funny when like the other people were referring to them as that. Yes. Like one of the husbands or something would be like, oh, yeah, like Rack's going to do this. And I'm like, LOL. That is so funny although we can't say anything
1: because our significant others also call our friend group by our friend group name.
0: Yes, that is true. I was just thinking that. Um <laughs> we're hypocrites. So I do I do love that um mainly because that's the most like um 2004 thing I can think of is like like coming up with an initialism like that for all of your names.
1: It's very parent trap it's very american girl doll it's very just like preteen summer yeah it's 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 very much in the early genre. 2000s yeah.
0: yeah i don't know how you felt as someone who is a millennial gen z cusper sort of generational person um because these these women are slightly older than me too um because i this was in 2004 but i graduated high school in 2010 so obviously i was not in high school in 2004 but i was like a preteen in 2004 i just ate all the references up like fucking candy in this book i was so just like thrilled by the chicks of it all constantly and just the other little random songs or like artists or whatever like I feel I felt like the 2000s nostalgia was handled very tastefully and not because sometimes those like pop culture references are so cringy in a book but I felt like this one like it was like just little tastes of it here and there that made me be like oh yeah I remember being like 13 when that happened when I was into that or whatever
1: Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff was very universal. And also, you may or may not be surprised to hear that 2004 is a year that I remember very clearly. Uh, Not possibly, because that year was the year my dad married my stepmom, who was my stepmom for a brief time. But (laughs) I had an older stepsister. And she was a sophomore in high school in 2004, I think. She mm-hmm. was in high school in 2004. And I just thought it was the coolest thing to have an older sister. And all I wanted to be was in high school at that time. And not being eight years old or however it was at that moment. <laughs> um, and so there are a lot of, like, 2004 things that I remember very vividly. And then, like, the chicks of it all, like... My mom would play the chicks in the car, like, taking me to swim lessons, like, Mm -hmm. two years prior. All of that stuff, like, definitely scratched an itch for me. And just, like, the general nostalgia of, you know, being with your friends in the summer and, like, being about to graduate. Like, a lot of that stuff, it didn't, it felt very timeless. This book Mm -hmm. felt very timeless at a lot of points. Yes, there were certain callbacks to... The chicks, or like what they would wear, or you know what they, whatever they were doing, or you know, and lots of that stuff was very like early two thousands. But but also it was just like, oh yeah, I graduated high school in twenty fifteen. Like me and my friends were running around the lake and you know drinking cheap beer and whatnot. Like we did all that stuff too. Wow, cool.
0: Yeah, it felt very. It was like a universal small town high school experience with like a group of girlfriends um which i feel like was i feel like it was captured really really well in that way and again that's one of the reasons i love lisa Grossmith so much is because she can really paint a beautiful picture even if there's not something particularly good happening in the book at the moment
1: yeah So where we kind of start in the book, which we start at a wedding, which I get really excited about because, you know, I love a wedding. And then they're at the wedding, but there isn't a lot of wedding actually going on. It's very much like in the background because Ada's little sister is getting married. And that's why Casey is back in town for the first time in 15 years, which a choice. Uh, Two of her friends have gotten married since then. Ada and Caroline are married at this point. And Casey didn't come back for either of their weddings. And then Rosemarie lives in Seattle. Casey lives in New York. They still keep in touch, but Casey would go to Seattle or they would come see her in New York. They She like never came to Goldie. So it's kind of this big deal that she's there. And yeah, there's a big fancy wedding going on and everyone's kind of dealing with some adult stuff now. Mm-hmm. Of the friend group, who was the most kind of compelling to you like I know who you're supposed to think is the most compelling of course and it's you know of course Casey who is incredibly compelling on her own but like Mm -hmm. was she the one who was most compelling to you
0: I think at first I was really drawn to Caroline just because she gets a lot of like page time at the beginning but I also kind of alternatively at different points throughout the book was obviously drawn to the others but I think Ada and Caroline were the two that from the start that really sort of stood out to me, I guess, namely Caroline because at the beginning I was like this girl's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> Which
1: for four reasons we find out. I think at the beginning and kind of throughout the book, like I wanted to see more of Ada's day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Like I think she was kind of the one who got almost the least amount of page time in a lot of ways. Like you kind of get this moment of her dealing with her mom and her Mm -hmm. worsening alcoholism and addiction. You kind of get some moments with her and her, her boys. She's got four kids, which fucking wild. And she's married her high school sweetheart. And she's kind of the one who definitely has the most quote unquote put together life. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of the time we spend with her, you don't, you almost don't spend it with, her necessarily. It's almost like everything else that's going on around her, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you kind of like, because I was trying to think when I was like, oh, I was really drawn to Ada, but I don't know why. I think it was exactly that where I was like interested in her, but we didn't get that much of her. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I felt very much the same way. And, you know, we didn't really get a lot of rosemary until the end but ada never really like got her moment
1: ada is also an anxious controlling girly so (laughs) she's in our club yes one
0: of us (laughs) one of us thinking about it though like you said like she had the most like quote-unquote normal normal life the drama that was going on with her while bad was not necessarily as bad as the other bad drama in the other girls' lives so right it just kind of skated by
1: yes and like yes i understand why for sure of ada almost occasionally being the well i don't even want to say the calming presence cuz she's not really she's just the one kind of like keeping everything in line almost she's the
0: mom friend
1: She is the mom friend. She has big, (laughs) big, big mom friend energy. And maybe it's truly she's the only mom of the group, but it she has always been the mom friend as we learn through the split timelines. Like even when they were in high school, she was the one like kind of taking care of everyone.
0: Yeah. And the one who was like, guys, maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe we're doing something that's not very good. Right. (laughs) Which is completely my energy.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my kind of other friend group that I see a lot recently came to the conclusion that I'm the mom friend, which kind of shocked me. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it still, but they were like, you're the one who's always reminding us to buckle up and stuff like that. I was like, well, you should buckle up. You have
0: to remind them to buckle up.
1: <sighs> you know, I I could probably like give them a few seconds longer to do it. <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: That's what I would funny. like to.
1: I would like them to be faster about it. How about that?
0: Yeah, that's 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 valid. So, you wrote in here that you want to talk about Goldie as a setting, Goldie the town, which I absolutely do, but I would like to bring one thing up, which is that I don't know if this was purposeful, but like Casey Musgraves is from a town called Golden, and her name is Casey. And that feels like something that might have been purposeful. I didn't put that together, even though
1: I've been thinking, I thought about Casey Musgraves like this morning, and then I finished the book like when I got home from the gym. So I feel like I should have put that together, but I didn't. I, Yeah.
0: yeah. Who knows? But I did think about it the second I saw the town name and I was like, interesting.
1: I did Google Goldie, to see if it was real, after we found out Westport was real. And right. I didn't find anything.
0: We don't even know where Goldie is,
1: right? No. And this frustrated me a lot. Okay. So, Goldie, <laughs> as a place in general, felt very real to me at points where it was like this dusty small town. We know it's in the south, felt a lot like my hometown in a lot of ways just like with more lakes you know but like you know two big high schools everyone kind of running around together a couple rich families like solidly rural southern middle class Mm -hmm. somewhat you know just like those things felt like extremely real to me but then I never found out what state it was in (laughs) and it frustrated me so much and I know it doesn't matter I like I know it doesn't matter but like books like that where they are in like a southern setting i'm like is this texas and like sometimes it is sometimes it's not uh so i was really frustrated because i was like is this my texas small town or is this a different small town that i have no real concept of do you know what i mean
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that doesn't really i'm googling where um lisa cross smith is from she is from kentucky could be kentucky
1: it could be kentucky i mean there were definitely things of like a lot of the like cooking in the right book is very like classic southern, yeah, not Texas
0: southern. I mean, is it ever explicitly said that it's in the south? Do they it say that they do say it's in the south? Okay, okay, but- yeah. Because then at one point, when Casey's fiance shows up at the house in his car, I'm like, okay, wait, is it? But I guess we don't know that it's his car. He's just in a car and he could have rented one at the airport or whatever. But that I threw me off, too, because I was like, did he drive? Are we like in Connecticut or like Maine or something and not I in the South?
1: I mean, they could be in Virginia and he drove from New
0: York. That's not too crazy. Possible. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it it didn't really bother me because whenever there are gaps like that in a story, I just sort of like fill them in with whatever I want it to be you know so in my head it was in texas
1: see i like cold hard
0: facts i want (laughs) someone to tell me where
1: it is i was also thinking about when we read uh dead romantics which is set in south carolina Mm -hmm. and like some of those things felt very similar and i just like wanted confirmation like that was all (laughs) i I don't know it it doesn't matter it really doesn't this is just me me grasping for familiarity that's all it is yeah
0: some semblance of control I created but, my own. That's that's healthier <laughs> probably. Yeah, but. I did. I I found Goldie Infuriating in the way that small towns can be infuriating and lovely in the way that small towns can be lovely and I really liked the way that she wrote the town. I do too. It felt very real
1: and in- in most ways i will say like up at the end which we'll talk about i think it gets in some ways maybe a little less believable but also the 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 way you wish it always was
0: exactly yeah if things yes if yeah if things actually went down the way you wanted to, wanted them to but i i just thought that you know for the first cuz the book's divided into acts right so the, for the mm. first two acts um the town is really represented the way that I think many of us who are from small towns think about their towns which is like fuck this place but I love it but fuck this Mm -hmm. place and like I don't want to be here but when I'm not here I do want to be here and in a way like that's kind of what this book is about more than anything else
1: yeah and as somebody who now does not have any family in my like true hometown small town like where I went to high school and everything like my parents have since moved out of there my dad still lives in the area but when I go visit him like I don't go through my old hometown like it's it's kind of weird to read these books where it feels so real and so much like where I grew up but like it's a place I don't go back to anymore and mm-hmm. it makes me sad and nostalgic but i also have a very complicated relationship where you know there are a lot of things that like made me really angry about it and like some very unpleasant memories of living there and so it is you know like you said when you're when you're there you don't want to be there and then when you're not there you do want to be there especially mm-hmm. now that i live in the big old city and all that so
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's complicated and and i I feel like books have a hard time capturing that. Like it's Mm -hmm. been a long time since I've read a book about a small town that I was like really, really satisfied with the complexities of how it was handled or whatever. And this one did it for me. So I liked it. The least believable thing in this small town is that they
1: all lived within five minutes of each other because, like, I lived in a small town and all my friends lived in the neighboring small town or the neighboring mm-hmm. small Like We were all, like, 30 minutes apart. And so that was the only thing that I was like, how? How is, like, <laughs> Caroline's trailer park five minutes from Ada's, like, pink mansion and then four minutes from Casey's farmhouse and then another two minutes from Rosemary's, like, normal... House, normal rainbow house. Like it was like, how does that work? Th- that can't be right. Everyone's yeah. forty five minutes away from each other.
0: Yeah, I believed the three girls living close to each other, but there is no fucking way Casey's farmhouse is less than a ten minute drive on unlit country roads and a gate that you got to get out and open. There's no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Katie has beef with gates. <laughs> My nemesis growing up, having to get out and get both gates, it added like ten minutes onto my ride to school. Two gates, two gates. How much yeah. blessings, everyone?
1: You I don't know like to
0: open gates to go to school. We couldn't afford a cattle guard, so I had to get out <laughs> and get the fucking gate. I always, I'm like, Dad, please. Couldn't please. afford it. Well, couldn't afford it. You got to dig a big hole. It's a lot of work. It's- <laughs> anyway redneck Uh, stories from Katie
1: anyway if you had a cattle guard let us know and so Katie can be
0: mad at your at your privilege all my rich friends had cattle guards rural privilege (laughs) that's the most insane sentence I've ever said
1: all my rich (laughs) friends had cattle guards
0: (laughs) the thing is it's true
1: I believe you oh
0: god Anyway,
1: anyway, so in terms of kind of, we'll go through kind of a broad timeline of the story, so we can get kind of hit the high points of you know the main conflict in this book. So, the first like forty percent of this book is kind of going back and forth. It's very much exposition. Mm-hmm. Um, it was losing me at points. It was like, all right, when's something going to happen? There's a, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of reconnecting of friends. I'm not getting a lot of answers on what's going on right now. I'm not getting enough of this wedding, which it's a rich person wedding. I want a way (laughs) more rich person wedding shenanigans. And they're just kind of there. But Rack is kind of like Rack. Rack is reconnecting (laughs) with each other. They're all catching up. People are like they're they're nice to Casey, but they're also kind of like, what the fuck? You haven't been home and like you missed all these big parts of our life. But ultimately, they love her, and they kind of let it go. And then they start to notice that Caroline in the group, who is married to Trey Foxberry, which is one of the most Southern names I can think of,
0: uh, <laughs> True. Another,
1: another rich person in the small town who his family owns a bunch of distilleries and makes a bunch of money, and, you know, whatever. Um, they also make note that he's, like, not very handsome. Which, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, ugly motherfucker. Yeah. Um, but they start to notice that Trey, the way he treats Caroline, is not right. There's, they don't have anything concrete for a while, but they kind of notice, like, Caroline's always really upset when she's around him, um, She's crying at the wedding, or the night before the wedding, and kind of tells Rosemary a little bit of what's going on. um, And then they they see
0: some text messages too between the two of them um, that are not great.
1: Yeah, so they're all kind of a little suspicious. And the day before Casey's supposed to go back to New York, she goes to Caroline's house, kind of unannounced, and you know, bringing coffee and breakfast and through the window she sees Trey physically abusing Caroline um and she 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 doesn't call um or she doesn't like make her presence known she quietly leaves and this is something that Casey has experience with because she had a stepdad growing up who was physically abusive to her mom Angie and so Casey kind of knows what to do but leaves Makes plans to meet up with Caroline and everybody else later that night, and then that's when they kind of confront her about what's going on. And Caroline at first kind of brushes it off and is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she breaks down into tears and is like, this has been going on for months. I don't know what happened, but it was like once we got married, a switch flipped
0: yeah and so. we as the as the audience are sort of finding this out like just ahead of the friend group is basically because it's switching perspectives
1: mm-hmm.
0: through all the different women, so like there are multiple points in the book that the reader knows something that no one else in the friend group does, but then usually the friend group finds out like in sort of the next chapter or whatever um which I found really interesting. I thought I was going to get really overwhelmed with that many perspectives, but mm-hmm. I felt like it worked really well.
1: Yeah, this this worked well for me. I think, like you said, kind of you're you're finding little bits of information out in a, in a very slice of life way. This book is extremely slice of life in both timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, so the friend group rallies around Caroline, and they make plans for her to get out of the house while he's away the next day um, to get a restraining order that she's going to file for divorce. Very much like the song. <laughs> and unfortunately, as she's packing, and like massive trigger warning for this book through a lot of it, it's rough at points. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Trey comes home and just absolutely beats the shit out of Caroline. And she goes to the hospital in the ICU, like the song and is in a coma and lots of there's a lot going on uh but the friend group they we we see the two timelines kind of come together at this point where they had decided in 2004 that they were going to kill casey's stepdad using black-eyed
0: peas using poison black-eyed peas yeah rat poison Unbelievable. I cause you know, when you hear that a book is inspired by a song, you never know how far it's gonna go. But these little eighteen year olds were like, Black Eyed Peas.
1: We love this song. This is a great <laughs>
0: handbook for murder. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do it exactly the way they say it in the song. Yeah, it's gonna work great. So he'll never suspect a thing, considering no. the song is on Country Radio twenty four seven, but okay. <laughs> That's a great point. Do you think, Right? Ro- do you think Roy listened to the chicks? They were on the radio. It's true. Wait, when did they say the thing, though? What When thing. the George Bush thing.
1: Oh, gosh. Because I don't
0: think... Uh, March 2003, so absolutely not, Roy would not be fucking with the chicks. Nope. <laughs> Fuck no.
1: Absolutely not. Maybe they would be safe. They call him, so... <laughs> One of the, my favorite little things of this whole sad situation of Casey's home life is that they just refer to him as dumbass. And, <laughs> you know, like making it making the best out of a bad situation because it's truly awful. It's horrible. Casey, like, lives at her friend's house is just kind of bouncing around when she can't go home. And it's just deeply, deeply, deeply sad. It's awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know at the same these two time, kind of timelines converge where this friend group decides they're going to kill a man the first one being Roy in 2004 and the second one being Trey in 2019 while Caroline is in a coma so the first one is all four of them the second one is kind of the three of them because the other complication is that Caroline's pregnant and at that point it's kind of like something's got to happen and we're going to take matters into our own hands so, and Earl had to die. Earl had to die. Uh,
0: <laughs> that line, the is, line in the book. is in
1: the book. Yeah, they refer to both of these men as Earls. Like, no, they're just bad men. They're terrible people.
0: I genuinely Earl didn't know it, it was going to be this on the nose. Like, I genuinely didn't know it was <laughs> just going to be straight up exactly the song. And even referencing the song, like, this book is so fucking meta. <laughs>
1: I feel like in the beginning, as soon as they started like referencing all the chick songs that they were listening to, I was like, "We're gonna get black eyed peas. Earl's gotta die. Someone's gonna call him Earl. It's gonna be great." I'm glad that no one was actually named Earl. That would have been too much. This was just like the perfect amount of like, it's heavy handed. Like, don't get me yeah. wrong, it's heavy handed, but but we we pulled back just in time. We didn't name Trey Earl. So. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly. I loved it. I loved the Black Eyed Peas.
1: So I guess let's talk about the two murders kind of separately, talking about Roy first. I think that maybe makes the most sense.
0: Yeah. So they try to murder Roy. Was it on their graduation night? On graduation night, right? Yes, because they were at their graduation party. And the plan was
1: that they made this batch of Black Eyed Peas laced with a shit ton of rat poison, with everything that Casey's mom doesn't like to eat, like onions and all, just to make sure that she wouldn't eat it. Um, and they plant it in the house, and they're all just like anxious, nervous messes. But they're all just kind of like, "We got to do this. We're gonna like, we're gonna, we're gonna kill this man." It was so Later. stressful. It's so stressful. It's can you can you imagine? Being eighteen and deciding you're gonna kill your friend's stepdad.
0: Well, and then just leaving it at home, like without any real knowledge of who was gonna eat it. Oh, that I, mm-mm. I Ada in this part of
1: the book is just like sitting there, like hyperventilating, and I was like, "I'm Ada. This is yeah, so much. yeah, I." I was so terrified that that's how this part was going to go, that Casey's mom was going to eat the black-eyed peas instead,
0: which is not what happens. It's worse. We know that Casey's mom is dead in the modern day, but we don't know what happened. And so I think the entire point was that we were supposed to think that they accidentally killed her with the black-eyed peas. But thank God, even though it's not good the way it happened, but thank God they didn't do it because...
1: yeah um imagine god i don't want to imagine that i'm not gonna think about that because that's not what Mm -hmm. happened i mean what happened is i don't know if it's worse it's terrible so casey while she's at her graduation party she had talked to her mom earlier and like confirmed her mom wasn't home so she wasn't going to eat the black eyed peas but at some point she does go home and casey gets this kind of panicked call from her mom who leaves a voicemail with kind of this code word that they had of you know if i ever need to get out of a conversation um I'll drop the word moon shadow. And she leaves a voicemail saying that in this story about her dad. And so Casey rushes home and um, God, it's awful. It's awful. Yeah. She finds her mom on the ground and attacks Roy after, you know, Roy beat the shit out of her mom. And Roy beats up Casey. Casey passes out, wakes up and... Roy's passed out drunk on the ground and she finds her mom has passed away in that meantime and says goodbye and leaves. And that was the last night that Casey spent in Goldie. She kind of disappears the next day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or no, it wasn't the last night. She stick She stuck around for a few more days for the funeral and everything.
0: Yeah. 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 Roy ends up dumping her mom's body. He gets away with it. And so Casey stays a few days to kind of like witness all of that going down. And then then she bounces. Um, So now so then we're aware of why coming back to Goldie is so complicated for her. Roy never eats the black eyed peas. Casey throws those out later and he gets away with it. We do later find out that he had died of cancer. Um, like a year before the modern day parts of the book. So in like 2018. So that motherfucker lived like 14 more years. That um, killed me. I
1: wanted I wanted to find out he had died like two years later in a bar mm-hmm. fight or something like that. But nope. He At not. least he's dead. Is, he's dead. Uh, but it does feel frustratingly realistic.
0: Yeah. So. But then you feel really dissatisfied, but then you realize that they get a second chance. (laughs) They get to do it right this time. A second shot at murder. Yep. A second shot at murder. So they decide to kill Trey. And I just need to say that this series of events that they decide to go on to make this murder happen is so elaborate. (laughs) Like, they're like, let us lace this with LSD and fucking shrooms because Rosemary's parents are hippies and apparently have all these drugs. They got a lot of drugs. They that Rosemary's house is where
1: they would go get high as high schoolers which apparently yep. there was an unlimited supply and no one cared.
0: So Evidently so. So they they get all these drugs and then like Casey invites Trey over because Casey has like told trey before that casey was like i saw what the fuck you did and trey's like oh i'm not like i didn't do that you didn't what you saw wasn't what you saw whatever and so casey's like i'm gonna pretend to invite him over to like make amends or whatever but i'm gonna give him this these lsd mushroom (laughs) casserole whatever the fuck okay it's lasagna
1: and as i was reading oh lasagna yeah I want this lasagna so fucking bad. You know, not the laced version, but it's like, I just imagined it of being like the lasagna version of truffles and mushrooms and just like cheese cream sauce. And it it sounded so fucking good. So Ada sounds
0: like a great cook.
1: Um, Sounds
0: amazing. And then the, the other piece of it is, is there was this moment when Trey was like hitting on Casey earlier in the book. So she was like, maybe I can like, you know, maybe if there's some underlying like seductive tone here, maybe that'll benefit me. So I was reading this and I was like, oh, there's no way this is going to work. It pretty much goes down exactly the way that they planned it, like more or less other than the actual murder.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like, so the the plan was that they were just basically going to like take him to the lake and be like, yeah, you can swim. He can't swim. They know he Mm -hmm. can't swim. And they were just going to push this dude while he's fucking tripping balls into the lake and, like, you know, leave him because he can't swim. What ends up having to happen is he, in his drug-induced whatever, uh, he does try to fight back and he tries to hit
0: Casey and instead Ada smacks him with a rock. Which yep. was satisfying. What it It very much was. And so, other than that, it all went pretty much according to plan um he dies they cu- they don't really suspect foul play at the start and then they kind of do and then my favorite part of the book happens which is act 3 when Silas the cop the part-time cop who is like actively in love with Casey and would never in real life be allowed to work on this case but The rules don't apply in act three, apparently. So he's interviewing all these people and it's all like interview transcript style in the book. And it's all these women who are coming forward to just like tell both true things and total made up bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) that gets Trey to look bad and gets these women off the hook. And I just I know this is the least realistic part of the book, but I fucking loved it. I loved every second of it.
1: Yeah, this part was great, where all of these women are just going to the police station being like, that guy was a fucking piece of shit. And the officers will, like, correct them when they're talking about how he beat Caroline up. And they'll be like, allegedly. And they're like, fuck you. It's not allegedly. You know this. (laughs) Like, he beat the shit out of her. And it is satisfying in a way that, like... You know, watching all of these women in the town kind of rally around them in a way that they couldn't for Casey, because kind of what turned out of how Roy ended up getting away with it for so long, even though everyone suspected he had killed Casey's mom, or a lot of people did, um, right. was that he was like a drug mule for the Foxberries.
0: Okay, I gotta say, this is the part in the book that I was like, you lost me.
1: I agree. I was very confused by this of like, it it was alluded to early in the book that like Roy used to sell weed or whatever. And then I'm like, why is there a whole quote unquote Southern like cartel for weed?
0: Like why was Roy, is that how weed dealing works? I don't know. The whole, yeah, this part of it was, I was like, you're introducing a layer of complication to this story that doesn't really need to be there. Like finding out at the end that there's been like a whole undercover drug operation this whole time. I was like, I'm not. I could have done without it. It doesn't have I, to be that that complicated or that big. Yeah, the, it like
1: it's revealed that the Foxberries are like running basically behind the like opioid crisis that's going on in Goldie, and it's it's. A little much, almost in the way of like, yeah, like you said, like Roy could have just been a piece of shit and he was a guy and he could have just gotten away with it because of that.
0: Right. Which is realistic. The Foxberries could have helped him cover it up for another reason. Like you could still intertwine the two guys if you wanted to, but it doesn't have to be an entire countywide illegal drug operation. Right. Yeah,
1: that. I was a little lost there and I kind of like chose to ignore it, honestly, moving forward.
0: Me too. I was like, this
1: didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about this. Roy got away with it because he's a dude and cops don't believe women. That's yep. what it is. So that's how I categorized it. Categorized yeah,
0: I did. I did the same thing. Um, But yeah, I, I really liked this book. Did you like it? I did like it. It was very different than what
1: I usually read. It's different than what I've read lately. You know what? Now thinking of it, it does kind of remind me of Wayward in some ways. Oh, yeah. Which is its own revenge story told across three women who are related, but each in a different timeline. And it mm. is revenge against the men who have wronged them and kind of righting the wrongs that have been done to them in the past. And I'm really interested now to see what you think of Wayward after reading this one. But, like, I I think this one was satisfying in a lot of ways. The end lost me a little bit. It was... Mm -hmm. It cleaned up a little bit too nicely. Ada's mom going to rehab. Everyone... Finding their their hometown boy. Stuff like that (laughs) tied up a little too quickly. I believed Mm -hmm. Silas and Casey. That one made sense to me. Beau and Caroline was a
0: little too neat and tidy, I think. Yeah, I like that they ended up together, but he kind of just appeared out of nowhere at the end in a way that I was like, where'd you come from? Yeah,
1: in a way where... You know, when she's like, Bo, will you pretend this baby's yours? And he's like, sure. I'm like, y- do you want to think about it a little bit harder? Like, yeah, that's, that's that's kind of a lot. You haven't seen this woman in a while. Like, I know yeah. she's going through it, but like, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe think about it for a second. I don't think know. Think that went through. Yeah. You know, I mean, we want him to say yes because we want Caroline to be OK. But also, like, it's not realistic. It's going yeah.
0: on. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little, yeah, it was a little it was a little neat and tidy. Um but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't mind it too much. Those that those thrillers so often end like that where everything just like slots into place and I'm like, "All right, fine. Mm-hmm. If you say so." I get it. Whatever. Yeah. You know, I kind of I
1: I do love that everyone gets their happy ending. Uh I guess we got to talk for a second.
0: Rosemary has cancer. Oh, yeah. Rosemary dies. So there's that.
1: Yeah, that felt a little out of left field, too. Act three is where it gets a little chaotic, I think. The pacing in this book is a little funky. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a lot of exposition for, you know, 40, 45 percent of it. Trey dies at 70 percent. Mm -hmm. which that's that's the 50% of this book is when (laughs) is is when the murder happens when the murder happens um and then I was like I still have a lot of book left like Mm -hmm. what's gonna happen like I I was terrified that he was gonna not die that he was gonna come back me too me too yeah I thought he was gonna like wash up on shore the next day with a headache and be like those girls kill me yeah and then they were gonna have to do it all over again yeah But, you know, yeah, it ends up being, you know, the investigation against Trey drops and Rosemarie turns out she went back to Goldie to die because she has cancer and then
0: she is going to die soon at the end. There's that. You know what I did really love was the exploration of Rosemary's like, would you call it a polyamorous relationship? I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, I really... Enjoyed reading that and the way that like her inner monologue was sort of unpacking her feelings for Leo, Leo, Leo. Lee. Oh my god, it, I it was in my head and then it was gone. Um, Leo, <laughs> Leo, and then you know the girl she was dating in high school, and then the woman Esme that she was with um in the current day, and I thought that was like a really interesting little subplot just sort of reading her perspective on what she was going through
1: i liked that too it was very simply put i don't think i've read a character who has multiple relationships with people she cares about equally and loves mm-hmm. and is it's kind of simply like when i'm with this person i'm when this with this person meaning mostly leo um mm-hmm. and then she's with Esme most of the time, and you know they Esme and Leo know about each other. It's nothing shady. It's just Rosemary's kind of, you know, her life. That's that's how they've made it work. And yeah, it's it's really nice. I really liked her and Leo's relationship. Leo was my I favorite too. man character of the book.
0: Agreed. He was my favorite. Also, I liked was, him a
1: lot. He was the one I was like, I'd have a crush on this man.
0: He makes mm-hmm. sense
1: this mm-hmm. is this is he plays guitar it works
0: <laughs> yeah i liked it overall good stuff
1: good stuff murder pie uh revenge. F- female, empowerment. female empowerment female empowerment friendship uh, g- friendship what else um some iconic grandmas some great old great ladies.
0: grandmas yeah incredible yeah. old ladies in this book
1: what are you reading currently So I think I've mentioned it on this podcast. I'm in a book club focused around books we read in middle school or late elementary school. It sometimes turns out. And so right now I'm reading Hatchet by Gary Paulson, which is one I'm really excited. I haven't officially started it i'm gonna start it this evening because i finished this one today but i'm really excited to revisit this one because one i loved this book when i read it and also it like deeply traumatized me so yep middle school book club has been really fun in that we realize a lot of the books that we read as children are um really fucking sad and put in a less sad package island of the blue dolphins traumatizing
0: Uh, Mm -hmm.
1: what else do we read? Holes, if you unpack it some more, fucked up. Holes was my pick. I love holes. Anyway. Um, so yeah, I'm reading Catch It. And I'm also Uh, about to do a book lover's reread. It's, it's coming.
0: Nice.
1: Katie, what are you reading?
0: I am very slowly, not for lack of interest, but just because big book, um, making my way through the Lincoln Highway, by Amor Towles, which I've never read any of his books before, but I understand and appreciate that he's very popular. This was my like freebie that I got in book of the month because it was like one of the book of the year finalists. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think the only one I hadn't read that was a book of the year finalist. And I was like, fuck it. I'll just like take a gamble. It's historical fiction. It's really good. It's just like slow going. I've been reading it for like almost a month and i am not even halfway through it's just like dense i don't know so i'm reading that i'm also reading the disney retelling of the little mermaid that i have talked about on the pod called kiss the girl by zoraida cordova it remains extremely cute as i have said about that entire meant to be series it's very cute it's very cute i love it um and then I need my required 20 seconds of saying that I read Fourth Wing and it's fucking great. (laughs) I I got really obsessed with it for like the three days that I was reading it. And this is why I can't read books. I can't read series before they're finished because... I don't know what the fuck to do with myself until like November or whatever. And it's really good. It's been, I've always liked fantasy, but I feel like I've sort of re-revived my love for fantasy novels in 2023. And it's been a fun journey, just like reading about fucking fairies and dragons and stuff. Um, It's a good time.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you're definitely on a fantasy kick with your ACOTAR fourth wing journey.
0: But yeah, I've always read a lot of fantasy. I've loved I've loved fantasy since like Harry Potter obviously, but mm-hmm. I this is the first time I've read this much of it. You know, I'll read a few fantasy books a year or whatever, but yeah, Sarah J Maas, she got me just like Damn. she did with everyone else. Yep. Well, we
1: do have our next book picked out, which Yahoo. Is back in our back on our romance bullshit, which is why you're all here. Um, But this is a book that we mentioned when we were doing our summer reading roundup that I randomly found on NetGalley. And now I'm going to make Katie read it with me because it seems ridiculous. I'm excited. Do you want me to read the blurb? Yeah, I think it's going to be unhinged in the best way.
0: Yes. So this is Mrs. Nash's Ashes by Sarah Adler. And clicking on Sarah Adler on Storygraph, it looks like it's her first book. So that's cool. Um, Okay. The blurb is as follows. Here's the, like, little subhead thing. A starry-eyed romantic, a cynical writer, and, parentheses, the ashes of, close parentheses, an elderly woman take the road trip of a lifetime that just might upend everything they believe about true love. Millicent Watts-Cohen... What a name. Millicent Watts-Cohen is on a mission. When she promised her elderly best friend that she'd reunite her with the woman she fell in love with nearly 80 years ago, she never imagined that would mean traveling from D.C. to Key West with three tablespoons of Mrs. Nash's remains in her backpack. But Millie's determined to give her friend a symbolic happily ever after before it's really too late and hopefully reassure herself of love's lasting power in the process. She just didn't expect to have a living travel companion. After a computer glitch grounds flights, Millie is forced to catch a ride with this name Hollis <laughs> Hollis Hollenbeck. Okay. Hollis, what the fuck? Hollis Hollenbeck, <laughs> an also stranded acquaintance from her ex's MFA program. Hollis. Certainly does not believe in happily ever afters, symbolic or otherwise, and makes it quite clear that he can't fathom Millie's plan ending well for anyone. But as they contend with peculiar bed and breakfasts, unusual small town festivals, and deer with a death wish, Millie begins to suspect that her reluctant travel partner might enjoy her company more than he lets on. Because for someone who supposedly doesn't share her views on romance, Hollis sure is becoming invested in the success of their journey— And the closer they get to their destination, the more Millie has to admit that maybe this trip isn't just about Mrs. Nash's love story after all. Maybe it's also about her own.
1: These names sound like Muppets.
0: Hollis Hollenbeck, come the fuck on.
1: That's a Muppet. That's a Muppet. That's not a real person. No, of course not. I'm fucking pumped. This sounds unhinged. I can't wait. (laughs)
0: You had me at Bed and breakfasts, and you also had me at uh, the Ashley Poston blurb. hmm I remember.
1: I think we noted that last time when we talked about this book, so. Yeah. And it has uh, 4.23 on Goodreads, which is pretty good. It came out May 23rd, so it is out. Oh,
0: nice. Oh, it is
1: out. Cool. Yep.
0: Yep. Okay, well, then that's a really good good reads reading for it already being out
1: yeah so i got excellent I got high hopes for uh millicent hollis and our our elderly Mrs. Oh, gosh yes.
0: and her three tablespoons of remains so three tablespoons cool okay well folks thanks for hanging with us for a non-romance read do y'all want us yeah. to do more of these because it was fun maybe we'll do more
1: yeah, and also, do we like this format more than play-by-play? Play? Do we rather do a higher-level discussion of just, you know, big questions of the book? I don't know. Yeah, Let us know, too. Do Give we, do us we, feedback. Yeah, please. We, we, we've been we been doing do this, this, this for a year. We can change yeah. it up.
0: Yeah, we make the rules. That's my favorite thing to say, <laughs> is we make the rules. We do make the rules, it's true. Yeah. Alright, we will see y'all in... Two weeks for Mrs. Nash's Ashes. Thank you for indulging us for murder and revenge and pie. Happy reading.